our weakness. We declare your strength and your sovereignty. And we give our hearts completely over to you, Lord. Let us hear your word this morning. Let us hear everything you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can grab a seat. If you have elementary age kids or younger, I see Miss Lauren over here. She would love to take them, have them be a part of what we have going on with our Vine Kids ministry and time. Hello, sweet girl. Thank you, Miss Amy. I appreciate it. I love it. Like a condor. We're privileged to uh, have the guys, or some of the guys, actually, just a handful of them. Uh, right now, I think I, uh, Lauren told me that there's about 50 guys, which is capacity out at Sunrise Ranch. So they have got every bed filled in their program, and we have a, a privilege of having a handful of the guys with us today that have traveled up to not only share their story and talk about what God is doing in their life, but to promote sort of the gospel in a way that says we believe in a God that is about redemption and recovery and rescue. And uh, Lauren will tell you a bit more about what they do and how that works. And he's going to be sharing their word with us today, which I'm really excited about. But before we get there, uh, we're going to have Danny, one of the guys, come up and share his story and and, uh, tell us about what God has done in his life and where he's brought him from. And then Lauren's going to share the word with us today. And then we're going to talk about how we can get involved and support the life and ministry of Sunrise Ranch. So Danny, why don't you come on up and uh, share a little bit with us this morning, man. Glad you're here. Let's give Danny a hand. Um, thank you all very much for having us. Uh, it's definitely an honor to, for me to speak in front of a, a group of people such as yourselves. You all have your lives so together. <laughs> um, my name's Danny. I'm 25 now. I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, I've been here at Teen Challenge for almost a year now, which is crazy to think it's been that long. Uh, if you had told me a year ago I would be speaking at a church and a year into Teen Challenge, I would—I don't know what I'd do. I would not believe you, I'd tell you that. But uh, I, uh, I grew up in a really good family. I have three sisters who uh, are pretty much my best friends. They are uh, amazing people. They uh, never went through any of the stuff that I did. They Each of them have a college degree or more, and I just finished a second term of probation, so somebody's doing something right, I guess, Uh, but probably not me, but uh, so I've been here almost a year now, and uh, I uh, I, I got into drugs in high school, and it it started taking control of my life pretty early on. It's uh, interesting to look back and see the addictive tendencies that start forming when you're 14 and 15, and uh, and before I knew it, I was 21 and uh, living at my parents' house and just mistreating them in the worst ways ever. I mean, it's just amazing that they've stuck with me through so much and uh, supported me through this program and everything. And uh, I went to Teen Challenge in Oklahoma City four years ago or something like that, and I didn't make it through it that long. I was not uh, very committed to it uh, And after I got dismissed from the program, I ended up in jail for almost a full year. And that was where I gave my life to God, and it really changed my life for the first time, really, uh, on my own, independently. And uh, after that, I I got, whenever I got out of jail, I did really well and stayed clean and away from drugs and had uh, some positive friends and a good environment and everything. And about a year after that, it started slowly tapering off and before I knew it I would I had relapsed a few different times really bad and got arrested again for a I was already on really tight probation and 
a kind of a miracle story that I didn't get arrested for anything worse than I did, but I ended up talking to a, a friend, Daniel Wilbur, who was a staff member here at Teen Challenge for a, a while, and uh, he helped get me, get me back to Teen Challenge. I knew that if I could just get somewhere that had the truth, like I know Teen Challenge does, that it can take hold of my life. I didn't know what to do, honestly, and I just knew I needed to, to get somewhere, and that's what he had told me. You need to just get here, and uh, it's been uh, a lot harder than I kind of anticipated it would be. I mean, I knew it would be hard, but it's changed my life and gave me a peace inside my heart that I've definitely never had, just feeling confident and knowing who I am and going through all the classes and the curriculum has helped uh, immerse me more in the truth and learning more about who God is and who I've been created to be and feeling confident and peaceful in myself. And it's, uh, I couldn't be more grateful for the staff members there that have helped me through a really tough year. And I know these guys are in the same position. It's, uh, it's amazing to just have the support. And I can't even tell you how much that means from people like you and from family members, especially just that never give up on, uh, somebody who I, you know, it's, it's hard to be supportive of someone who, you know, spits in your face so many times. Uh, but it's just amazing to see the love of God that they have in their hearts towards someone like myself. And, uh, I would, if that's one thing you take away from the measly public speaker I am compared to Lauren, uh, it'd be that. Just don't give up on the people in your life that might be in a position like this because uh, if, if someone had gave up on me, I wouldn't be here. I'd be somewhere much worse. So thanks for uh, letting me share. Amen. Thank you, Trev, for, for having us in, uh, in church body. We, we appreciate the opportunity to come and share, share what God is doing at Teen Challenge. As, as Trev shared, uh, Teen Challenge is a discipleship program. We believe that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. We believe that. If you weren't aware, that's in our Bibles. And it says that if any man... I mean, let's look at the problems that we're facing with, with addiction in our, in our society and the, the newest problem, which is prescri- the prescription drug epidemic. And, and you were to see these individuals whose lives have been overcome by these substances. They become somebody completely different. A son becomes a thief and an enemy. A husband becomes an enemy. And these individuals, we, we, would, we would look at these individuals and... and, and, and it's an impossible task that their lives would change. It is an impossible task that their lives would change. If you were to talk to your local judges and, and probation officers and, pe- and people that are involved in that type of, of, of work, they would tell you that not many people change. Matter of fact, our probation officer in, in Lawton, uh, Reginald Walton, it, before he was given Teen Challenge as his jurisdiction, this was his conversation with me because I was one of those probationees seeing him, my probation officer. And he was bleak. The situations and, and the things that he faced with, with people that constantly would fail their, their drug testing and, and people that were getting fired and homeless. And, and he was constantly answering phone calls that were negative. Ones where he had to get in his vehicle and go find them and put them back in jail or prison. Because that world is a bleak world. It's a depressing world. It's a faithless world. 
And if we're honest with ourselves as people, then I think we would say that there are times where we don't believe that if any man is in Christ, he can be new. We all have those people in our, in our neighborhoods, in our society, that we would look at their lives are broken, they're destroyed, but the reality is this, that if they were in Christ, they would be new, completely new creations. We believe that scripture, and it's what we found Oklahoma Teen Challenge on. We um, believe that, that if any man is in Christ, he's new. And so we practice that. We take in the worst of the worst. We're talking about heroin addicts. We're talking about uh, leaders of the UAB, United Aryan Brotherhood. We're talking about suppliers of meth for entire counties. We're talking about the worst that society has to offer. That if they are in Christ, they are new. The doors swing wide open at Teen Challenge for all those who are broken, all those who are weak and in need of help. I was one of those people. Broken, weak, and in need of help. For four weeks now, I've been functioning as the executive director of Sunrise Ranch Teen Challenge. Last time I was here, I was the program manager there. And um, and now the Lord has taken my life from brokenness, from ashes. And he's put me in a place to be able to disciple men, not because of anything I've done, but because of what he's done. Because he is powerful, he's mighty, and he's able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. You see... We believe that scripture, and we open our doors wide at Teen Challenge. That's what the ministry of Teen Challenge is, quite simply. The lost and the broken can come and be changed, find discipleship, and their lives can become something different. Something different than the pain, than the anger, than the bitterness, than the addiction that has robbed them of their families. They can put all that to the side and become somebody different. I mentioned our, that probation officer, Reginald Walton. You know, he's, um, he's now over Teen Challenge. Well, the Department of Corrections took notice because Reginald Walton's statistics and the people that were changing under his leadership were off the charts. You know, in that world, all they see is people being revoked and thrown back into prison, back into jail, back on drugs. And the Department of Correction in Oklahoma took notice and said, what in the world is Reginald Walton doing in southwest Oklahoma? Well, he was, he was humble and, and, uh, and honest, and he says, listen, it's nothing I'm doing. It's something that Teen Challenge is doing. Because my jurisdiction is now Teen Challenge, and these guys' lives are changing. They're not just changing and getting off of drugs, but these individuals are changing their worlds. These individuals are becoming missionaries and, and, and church planters and pastors and youth pastors. And so they had a Department of Corrections tour at our facility just a couple weeks ago where all the big wigs in the Department of Correction walked through because they wanted to see how drug addicts were changing because they don't change. But my friend, they do. They do. If they can find the one who made him, if they can make peace with the one who made him, then they can become new if they be found in Christ Jesus. That in a nutshell is Teen Challenge. Doors swung wide open for the lost and the broken and then the results that only God can bring. That only God can bring. I want to share this morning from one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It comes from Luke, I'm sorry, John chapter 2, John chapter 2, 
And I want to talk about pilgrimage today. There's going to be a few slides that come up, and the first one being pilgrimage. I'm going to talk about what it means to be a pilgrim. A pilgrim, let me give you a definition in our dictionary. A journey, a spiritual journey, especially a long one, made to some sacred place as an act of religious devotion. John chapter 2 verse 13 says this, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. Jesus was one who practiced pilgrimage in his lifetime. We see that as a little boy. His father and mother were devout believers of God, and they themselves went on pilgrimage from the Galilee um, down to the deserts of, of Judea, all the way to Jerusalem for, for Passover and Shavuot, the day of the day of Pentecost or in gathering of first fruits. There were times where these people would converge on this location. Now this is a a model, a remake that took several, several years to make. It's at the Israeli Museum in Jerusalem um, where the Dead Sea Scrolls are kept and the most ancient manuscripts of the Bible, just, just a stone's throw away from this model. Well, this model was made and brought there to the Israeli Museum. And this depicts the, the temple in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. So when we're talking about Jesus making pilgrimage, then you can have somewhat of an idea of what that may look like. We're going to be going between pictures that are models and then modern day pictures of these areas that have been excavated. And so Jesus, just like his parents, went on pilgrimage. You remember the story where Jesus is left behind in the temple? They were on pilgrimage. They were there from from Nazareth to, to Jerusalem to seek God. See, God's people would converge on this sacred, hallowed ground called Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. You even find in the Galilee area, now this is a a four to six day journey from the Galilee to Jerusalem. And you find in in the Galilee these these oil lamps that have been discovered over and over. Any Any site that you dig in, Magdala, where Mary of Magdala was from, or Capernaum, where Jesus' mother-in-law lived, you, you find these, these oil lamps. Now, these oil lamps were taken as souvenirs from where? From Jerusalem. As a remembrance of the menorah that burned continually. So you see, even in the excavations, that Jerusalem was this sacred place and that people would come from all over the Holy Land, no matter how long the journey may have taken. The next picture is going to show you the city of David. Now, if you're a pilgrim, and you're from upper, up the upper Galilee there at the base of Mount Hermon, then it's going to take you about six to seven days from, from northern um, Galilee to get to Jerusalem. And so this is just not some light thing. It's not like you take PTO days and, and you get paid while you, while you go to Jerusalem. They didn't have PTO days back then. You didn't um, get to put your work on hold. As a matter of fact, if you don't work in, the Holy, in that land, it's a, it's a cruel land, one with the, the, the very little rainfall, then, then usually you don't eat. And so for somebody to make pilgrimage, it was a great expense. And so they would gather their families and they would load them up on the, the oxen and the, and the donkey and then they would, they would travel day after day after day to get to this place from all over. You see, it was a great, great expense and, and the families had to put on hold everything. They had to work a little harder before they went so that they could afford the trip to go to Jerusalem. 
And if you know the land of Israel, it's not a kind land. It's a land with, with mountains and deserts, and it's not real hospitable. And so on this journey, you're traveling six to seven days. You could be ransacked by marauders. Jesus tells a story of the Good Samaritan. It's, it was things that happened in that day where, where people were, were taken advantage of in some of these outlying areas where nobody was. The reason for the story of the Good Samaritan. So this was a great expense. It was a great danger. It was a great cost to go to the Holy Land. This is the model. This is going to show you the ascent from, from the city of David. The city of David at the base, you see a pool to the left of the city of David. That's the pool of Siloam. You hear of the pool of Siloam in the Bible. It's a ritual immersion pool. It's called the mikvah. It's where they ritually immerse. It was the ancient baptism, if you will. And when they approached Jerusalem, they usually approached from the Kidron Valley, which would have been right next to the, the city of David. And then they would circle around to the base of the city of David, and they would find themselves at the pool of Siloam. Well, at the Pool of Siloam, you would ritually immerse and you would, you would cleanse yourself with the idea that you're going to present yourself to a holy God. Now, you can imagine, you're from the, the sticks, you're from Capernaum, and you traveled all this way, and you see the temple in all of its majesty, its beauty. You see the sacrifices wafting up into the air, and as a, as a little boy, you can imagine the great excitement in the, in the ancient world, this beautiful, beautiful place called Temple Mount. Well, here they immerse in the Pool of Siloam. They think about God. They think about cleanliness. They think about sin and how they've erred against God. How they're broken and they're lost and they're in desperate need of a Savior. And as they richly immerse, they think about these things. As they immerse in the Pool of Siloam. And then they make their ascent up the city of David. And what you'll see in the next slide is a, an arched area just to the left of Temple Mount. Now, this is what it would have looked like as, as a boy looking up at the temple and seeing the sacrifices um, floating in the air and thinking about, I'm going to present myself to God. What if we approach God like that in worship? What if we approach God like that in our Bible study? and our seeking of him, that God, I'm broken and I'm lost and I'm in desperate need of you. In and of myself, I can't approach you. But Lord, I ask forgiveness for these things in my life and I seek you. To the left, you see that arched area. The remnants of that arch are still there at Temple Mount. You can see the arch as it is starting to, to form. Would you go to that next slide? And I believe it's a picture of the actual arch to the left there. You see that little bit of, of rock that's starting to come out on the left side of the Temple Mount. That is the exact arch that Jesus walked underneath when he approached the money changers. Now the arch is not there anymore. There's just remnants of it. But you can still see the area where he would have been. You see, this is where the money changers would have been. Now you can imagine you're traveling seven to six days, depending on how fast you are. And if there's turmoil in the land, it could have been longer, but you're not going to bring your sacrifice with you. It's too far. It's too long of a distance. Why, why would you load that up? And so the temple had, has the opportunity to buy a sacrifice at the temple. That's what they were selling doves for. That's why these lambs were, were there in the money changer area because after originally immersing yourselves and approaching God, you would then buy your sacrifice so that you could then present it to the priest at the top of Temple Mount. 
Now to the the next couple. It's going to show you the actual area that Jesus would have walked down, the street he would have walked down, the actual stones that he would have passed by as as money changers are on one side and, and the people selling sacrifices are on the other. You'll see another picture here of the other side of that, the area that's been torn down, that it could have been vice versa, money changers on one side and then the, the people selling sacrifices on the other. And so I'm trying to build you up to something here. I'm trying to build you up to pilgrimage and what pilgrimage looked like. The great cost, the great sacrifice. After purchasing the sacrifice in, in, in the money changer area, let me show you a, a table. You know, back then they didn't have fold-up tables like we do today. I think a lot of times when we read the Bible, we, like it, we, en- we envision Jesus in a land that is our land. And the reality is there, there were no folding tables. You didn't just pick them back up and put the legs back up and, you know, and get back to business. No, these were tables that were made of their most common resource, which was stone. These stone tables that, that we're going to talk about, they, they look something like this. The top of this being an actual stone table from that era, the bottom being a recreation And then we see the ascent to God. And at the ascent to God, we have the model here that we see the steps that go up to Temple Mount. And then on the next slide, you're going to see the actual steps today. Now, some of them are rebuilt. You can see the ones with a lot of speckles on them. Those are recreations. The other ones are actual stones that the disciples would have approached as they were seeking God. Where I believe the day of Pentecost happened. Because it's the only place in Jerusalem with enough mikvahs to baptize 3,000 people. You can imagine Peter on these very steps preaching the first message to common man being anointed by the Holy Spirit. Just a roughneck fisherman from the Galilee preaching. These steps are not your ordinary steps. They're not like steps that we have today. When you build a building, you have, to, uh, you have to abide by code. And you want the steps to be all exactly the same rise and the same landing. If they're not, then you go to walking up a step. Have you ever done that? And all of a sudden you step and the step's not there and you, you almost fall down. Then you play it off like you meant to do that. Well, these steps were meant to do that so that you didn't get in any kind of cadence. So that you didn't just walk up normally like this is just religion and this is just the way that we've always done things. But instead you had to contemplate every step because you were approaching a holy God and you had to consider every step that you made toward him. These are the steps to Temple Mount. In the next slide you're going to see the, the archways the archways that would, have, would not have been closed up in his time that you would walk through and walked up to Temple Mount. And then on top of Temple Mount, we'll see here what the model shows, the temple, as you approach from this left side and you, you give your sacrifice to the priest and then he offers up to God for the forgiveness of sins. Well, that is the context of this scripture. When it was almost time for Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. That's what going to Jerusalem for Passover looks like. That's the sacrifice. That's the cost. Now let me me share with you a couple of 
reasons that I believe Jesus was, was so upset. You know, one of my favorite passages, it's not the Jesus that we're used to. It's not the hippie Jesus on the shore of the Galilee talking about love your neighbor. This is a different Jesus. Yes, I know it's the same Jesus. I understand that. But it shows a different side of his character. It shows a, a different a difference in his demeanor. I mean, up until this point, we would see him as uh, not like furious Jesus with a whip at church. A whip. He fashioned a whip. Why was he so angry? <laughs> Why was he so frustrated? It's just, just because things were being sold and bought. No, things are being sold and bought all over the Holy Land. Souvenirs are being taken back to the Galilee. We've talked about that. Why is he so upset? And so upset that he's taken time to fashion a whip. I mean, if I knew how to whip a whip, I would have brought it, but I'd probably whip myself in the face on accident and it wouldn't go over very well. But you can imagine this whip just circling in the air and snapping. I mean, what, what is the problem, Jesus? And not only that, but he has, he has chosen to take these stone tables that I was showing you earlier, and he is throwing them over. Now, these are these people's livelihood. These are stone tables that took a long time to make. You don't just fold them back up and stand them back up. They're broken. They're in pieces on the ground. Doves are flying away and Jesus is, is whipping the whip and he's throwing stone tables over and they're breaking all over the floor. And he's quoting scripture. A couple of the scriptures that he quotes, one is from Jeremiah chapter one, verse 11. It says this, has this my house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? And then he quotes Isaiah 56, 7. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer. If we look at Luke chapter 19, verse 47 and 48, it says this, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people sought to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could speak against him for all the people hung on his every word. Why did they want to kill him? Because he's defying the very, the very authority of the temple. Because he, being in the form of a man, is coming in and, and he's... He's wrecking things. He's challenging the chief priest of the day. <laughs> He's turning tables over and doves are flying and, and lambs are scurrying away as he, as he breaks these tables and he, he makes his way there at the Temple Mount area. Why? Let me read you a couple of um, historical Text, one being Josephus, Josephus, Flavius Josephus. He's a Jewish historian from the first century. And it gives us an idea for what's going on in the temple. He says this. Now the high priest Ananias was advancing day by day in prestige and being even more lauded and honored by the citizens, for he was a supplier of money. Indeed, every day he was treating the high priest and proc procurator Albinus to gifts. In addition, he had slaves utterly depraved who would join forces with the most insolent of men. I'm talking about church people here. I mean, we're talking about like mob stuff. We're talking about you do me a favor, all you do, do you a favor, uh, giving the money, money as gifts and as leverage. This is what's going on in the temple. They would go to the threshing floor, these slaves hired by the high priest, and take the tithe meant for priests by force and beat any who resisted. 
The high priests were practicing the same things as their slaves, and no one could restrain them. As a result of this, it had happened that some of the priests who had formerly survived by the tithe died for lack of food. Let me tell you why Jesus is so upset. Because they've made the house of God a racket. Because they've taken the holy and they've, they've turned it into to favors and, and, and funds and manipulation. Let me go a little further. This is a, a, a rabbi called Baba Batra. He's a first century rabbi, and this is what it talks about. I'll just, uh, just really comprise what this is talking about just for sake of time. But it says this, that Baba Batra walked into the temple one day, and it was barren of animal sacrifices because the money changers and the high priests had risen the prices of sacrifices so high that the common man couldn't afford them. So Baba Batra, being a man of wealth and a man of of heart, he bought 3,000 sacrificial animals and he gave them to the people because the people couldn't afford a sacrifice. Why was Jesus so mad? There's a lot more going on here. And as we look at history, we look at at rabbinic literature, we see what what is really going on here. You see, Jesus is doing what he came to do. This is his very cause on planet Earth to make a way through the darkness, through the desert, through brokenness, to make a way to God. That's why he's here. To pave a way, to to bring the valleys up and to bring the mountains down and to make the crooked way straight so that the Lord could walk on that street. You see, Jesus is doing what he came to do. He's clearing a way for broken and lost people. In a church that had made it about money, that had made it about manipulation, you see, that's what I love about Jesus. You see, his actions were justified. We believe that, but I think we still step back and we say, why so angry, Jesus? But his actions were justified because he's doing what he came to do. You see, you have common man. You have a pilgrim who's made his way all the way from the Galilee. He's he's put aside work. He's worked harder so that he could afford this trip. He hasn't brought a sacrificial animal because it's too far. And then when they get to the temple, they've made their ritual cleansing and they approach God. You see, it had been made into a racket and more than likely, common man was being pushed away. Isn't that what humanity always does? Push away the broken, push away the lost, push away the weak, the addicted, because it's just, it's not pleasant. It's not pretty, Let me tell you, man, what our Jesus did in his entire life was to make a way for broken and lost people to have access, to have access to God. If there's one place that I would like to be, yes, it's the resurrection, number one. Number two, it's this passage. To see the the authority that he spoke in to see the action then, making a way and paving a way for people like you and people like 
me. Church, it's what we believe at Teen Challenge. We believe that we're broken and we're lost and there's, there's no way to God except through Jesus Christ. Even a, a, a modern song says something like this. Do, do you think your righteousness could pay the interest on your debt? I have my doubts about it. You see, there's no righteous deed that we could do. We couldn't stock up enough tithe paying and enough church going and, and all these things in order to present to God so that we would be holy before him. You see, even our righteousness couldn't pay the interest on our debt, let alone the debt that we owe. But Jesus, he came and he paved a way to the presence of God for people like us at Teen Challenge. That's what we believe. That's what we know because we've experienced the gospel for ourselves. You see, church, that's what Teen Challenge is. We believe that we should do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? Well, he didn't go to the synagogues and to the principal men at the, at the temple and convince them to follow him. Those who were learned in the Torah, in the Tanakh. He, he didn't go to those people who could expound so philosophically upon scripture. He went to the Galilee, to the, the bucolic backwater, if you will. And he walked along the shores of the Galilee and he found a bunch of roughneck, broken people. It's what David Platt calls the great gamble. That he then invests everything in them. And then he leaves. Well, that's a bad business plan. <laughs> so, wait a minute, Jesus. Try teaching that at the next business seminar. Why don't you go to the projects, people? Go hire some people from the projects. Forget about the resume. Just bring in broken and lost people and then give the entire company to them. It's the great gamble. You see, Jesus, he pours his life into these men for several years, broken and lost people, and then... He goes to the Father, and he leaves and entrusts the gospel in the hands of common man. That is the gospel. Jesus paving a way, and then Jesus entrusting it to people like us, like you, people who realize that we could never pay the interest on our debt, that we're broken and lost, and we're in need of a Savior. Church, thank you so much for, for this opportunity to share. I've had the opportunity to go to Israel on three occasions, and, and I, I just eat up the, the Holy Land rabbinic literature and all these sources because for me what it does is it really shows the reason why some things are happening in the Scripture. It's something that we have done in our program to, to integrate um, these, this, this reference into our, into our curriculum and so that we can better understand Jesus and understand what he was doing when he walked this earth. And, and I thank you for, for, for lending your ear and your hearts as we share what it means to us in that Christ came and he gave his life. He gave his life for us. Thank you so much. Can we, can we pray? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to focus on that truth this morning. I want you to focus on, on the one who paved a way for us. The one who, by action, forcefully cleared a path 
Lord, and, and we realize, God, that, that we are those people, Lord, those people that you made a way for, a way through the brokenness, a way through addiction, a way through all the, the problems that, that beset us in life, Lord, we, we realize the one who made the way for us. God, and we focus on you this morning, and we thank you. We thank you for that opportunity, Lord, for that, that chance to know you, to love you. Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, we thank you for it. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. If you're here today and you've got somebody that uh, is on your heart, that you, that you are believing for, that there needs to be a way made for them, their, their, their situation may seem impossible, if that is you today, would you, would you just pray with me for that individual? Would you whisper that name? Lord God, we pray for these, Lord, that, that are far from you, that are afar off, that, Lord, in our own faith, in our own belief at times, Lord, it seems impossible. But, God, we focus on the way maker, the one who cleared a path for us. Lord, and we pray for the salvation of these Lost souls, God, seek and save the lost. In Jesus' name.